Call the Planning Land Development Board to order. Would you please stand and pledge allegiance to the flag? Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. <coughs> Irene, would you call the roll, please? Yes. Mr. Smith. Here. Mrs. Lucas. Here. Mr. DeMaria. Here. Mr. Scully. Here. Mr. Davis. Here. Mr. Lemon. Here. Mr. Olsner. Here. Ms. Nicholson. Here. We do have a quorum. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, the approval of the minutes, minutes, <laughs> minutes of December. Uh, do I have a motion to accept or motion to any changes needed or motion to accept? Second. I have a motion and a second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. And if there are no opposed, minutes are approved. Okay, Mr. Planning Director there on there. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, Ray Kiner, Deputy Chief Development Officer. Um, tonight, we it's a little different meeting tonight. Uh, we have with us uh, the Beautification Envi Environmental Advisory Committee. Uh, this committee was established by City Council in 2006, and uh, their primary role is... Um, what they do is their objectives is, uh, as a committee, they identify uh, issues within the city of Palm Coast relating to beautification, scenic beauty, natural resource conservation, aesthetics, enhancement, environmental protection, and other related matters, and to evaluate and consider activities, methods, projects, and programs that could be implemented within the city to address these matters. And, uh, and then... Um, they look at these issues and, and they may make recommendations to the planning and land development regulation boards with regard to comprehensive plan amendments and land development code regulations. As, as you recall, when we were going through um, the land development code uh, landscape section, we, we had several joint um, meetings with their committee and, and they looked at the land development code and they made recommendations to the planning board and we went through kind of jointly with that. So tonight they, uh, their chairman, Mr. Seib, had been working with his group on um, looking at uh, the city of Palm Coast specifically when it comes to, um, I guess, uh, water rise and a variety of different issues. So. Uh, tonight, he has a presentation from his board that they've been working on for probably several months and would like to present that to the planning board for consideration and just for discussion purposes. There is no action tonight. Um, so um, with that, I'm going to hand it off to Beth Dawson, our landscape architect, for a little bit of introduction. And, and I know that they're anxious to show the presentation that they worked real hard on. Good evening, Beth Dawson, City Landscape Architect. I'm the liaison for the BEAC. 
Um, and I'm just going to hand it right over to Mr. Jeffrey Seib, the chair of the BEAC, so he can um, present um, to you. Good evening. My name is Jeffrey Seib. I'm the chairman of the Beautification and Environmental Advisory Committee. Here tonight to present the Planning Board the package of recommendations contained in our report the threat of climate change and sea level rise for Palm Coast. The BEAC worked on this issue as part of our environmental agenda for 2019. The science of climate change and sea level rise is real, and the methods that have been uh, the scientific methods that are based on sound scientific principles, the same as those used in medical research, agricultural research, and those that are used to, to uh, calculate the statistics, auto, home, and life insurance rates and benefits. Uh, the people conducting the research, they are not elitists, they are hardworking folks like you and I, and they're presenting comprehensive fact-based solutions to a problem. This is a uh, view of scientists, what they think of climate change and sea level rise. On the left is earth scientists, on the right is climatologists. So, and the blue area is the agreement that there is climate change and sea level rise occurring at this time. This is a partial list of the organizations that support climate change and sea level rise research. You can look this through. There's a, a number of American Medical Association, Academy of Sciences, the American Society of Agronomy, World Health Organization, Concerned Scientists, the Audubon Society, United Nations Framework on climate change. And the research, the uh, facts that I will be presenting have been taken from a number of these sources. So this is what we have facing us, and I call this a rapidly warming planet. This is the global average temperature from 1850 to 2017. The projected time frame for climate change and sea level rise has shortened. Greater climatological events may have already begun with the Category 5 or higher Hurricane Dorian, the raging wildfires in California and Australia, and the most recent report that we are experiencing the warmest months and past decade ever. Unfortunately, these events and more may get worse unless we do something with, within the next 10 years. Gaseous carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide are, the, are contained in fossil fuels that, when burned, are released into the atmosphere, block heat from dissipating outward, and cause the greenhouse effect. Coal, oil, natural gas, even wood when burned, give off these gases. So the, these huge fires are a real problem. 
In addition, coal also gives off mercury and sulfur when burned. According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, a rapid increase in atmospheric greenhouse gases began with the Industrial Revolution and has increased dramatically in recent years worldwide as more and more fossil fuels are contained. Worldwide temperature has already increased by one degree Celsius, which is two degrees Fahrenheit, during this time period. To avoid catastrophic climate changes, scientists have called for a cap on temperature increases of 1.5 degrees Celsius or three degrees Fahrenheit by the end of this century. Too bad for us, but in the northern hemisphere, the atmospheric and ocean temperature increases will be even higher than the global average. Two to three degrees Celsius, which is five to six degrees Fahrenheit. This heat extreme will cause melting glacial, Arctic, and continental ice shelves, which will bring rising sea levels and inland flooding issues. The entire state of Florida will be impacted more severely by any climate change and sea level rise events, with the coastal environment taking a greater share of the impact. Many communities in Florida are being uh, affected right now and are taking note of these facts and beginning to address the issue of climate change. Miami, Tampa, Jacksonville and other communities across the USA and the world are experiencing higher tides and flooding right now. A large area of Palm Coast that is east of I-95 lies within 10 kilometers, which is six miles of the coast, so is within a sea level rise danger zone. It is prudent to begin to examine protective concepts that allow for immediate action. We need to begin the process of reducing these greenhouse gases. This is the challenge we face for a better future. This is some increasing property damage by storms. More intense storms may be possible. Luminous this, we can recognize where we are here, Flagler Beach, after Hurricane Matthew, and the greater storm surge. Now, sea level rise with extreme temperature increases, this is the four to six degrees, they're talking about this is an extreme rise, 60 meters, which is 196 feet. You look at the map, the areas in blue will be underwater. So it looks like Florida, we will have all have waterfront property. <laughs> This is an area of, uh, that I'm interested in. This is wetlands uh, that can serve a purpose of holding floodwaters as flood reservoirs. And this is after the storm holding the water for draining and dissipating. I think it's a good idea. So let's go straight into the recommendations. How can we do this? So the first recommendation is to incorporate climate change and sea level rise into the city's comprehensive plan. That's something that I hope we can do this to. And the city of Palm Coast commit to reducing the carbon footprint by becoming recognized for energy efficiency, green technology, and proactive planning for climate change and sea level rise. 
City of Pomco's strategies for meeting this challenge include increased utilization of equipment and vehicles with reduced energy requirements. City Hall could be retrofitted over time with more energy efficient, low CO2 output systems, solar power, and all new city construction could have a green component. And we could ensure the water supply and sewage retrieval systems are capable of operating in an environment of rising water tables. It's because sea level rise and inland flooding could lead to a lower capacity of the soil to absorb precipitation because aquifers are full, leading to a rising water table that could affect both water and sewage delivery and retrieval systems. So now we talk about enacting and including in the comprehensive plan that follow a resiliency approach towards climate change and sea level rise that focuses on adaptive capacity, which builds into the system the ability to positively react and deal with issues and retain city services at peak level. This is resiliency. In terms of climate change, resilience means strengthening the ability of our community to respond to and withstand any negative climate changes as, and as a way of utilizing proactive planning approaches. Adaptive capacity of communities is the function of reducing the impact of any future climate hazards by planning and implementing methods to moderate climate-related events prior to any crisis. Next, declare the downtown an innovation district. All development take advantage of incentives for energy efficient and green technology, provide commercial building constructions in all of Palm Coast, the option to receive green incentives. A growing community like Palm Coast with many private developments under construction at present and many more in various planning stages could offer a number of incentive options to encourage private development to utilize green building features. This could be especially true in the town center, downtown urban core area. The city has proposed this to be a center of high-tech development. And what could be more high-tech than the use of renewable energy resources? Types of incentives could include tax savings, higher density allowances, expedited permitting, grants, insurance discounts, and others. These incentives could be tailored to the project's level of green certification and allow for short and long-term development goals. These strategies would require a long-term perspective as community-wide input, discussion, planning, and implementation takes time. Programs could be developed and available for energy efficient residential home and business development operation that reduce the amounts of greenhouse gases by employing green building technologies in the initial construction and or retrofitting existing structures encouraged by a beneficial incentive program. All new roadways would be reconditioned and older roadways in flood prone areas would have a water table analysis. The water table rise could affect the transportation and construction <coughs> systems as road bases and home and business foundations 
would require a greater level of hardening to avoid losses. In the area of the natural environment, worldwide biodiversity is in the midst of a massive loss of entire populations of species. That has been estimated to rival the mass extinctions of asteroid strikes or times of extreme volcanic eruption. Insect pollinators are now experiencing huge population losses due in part to climate change and sea level rise events. Studies have shown that coastal wetlands and undeveloped upland properties can serve as hurricane, storm surge, and sea level rise water storage reservoirs, reducing flooding and damage to homes and property. For example, the undeveloped land found west of Old Kings Road, south and north of Matanzas Parkway, that continues north to Princess Place and the Agriculture Museum, and east to the Guano Tolomato Reserve is such an area as are many other both privately and publicly owned properties throughout Palm Coast. After Hurricane Sandy in New Jersey, they found that undeveloped coastal property reduced hurricane flood losses by 16%. Another study calculates a monetary value of undeveloped coastal properties in Florida and the U.S. as a function of their storm protection services. For every one kilometer, which is 0.63 mile, of wetland in our area, the value right now is $100,000. If the frequency and intensity of hurricanes increases in the future as a result of climate change, then the value of these properties as protection will also increase. One study refers to these undeveloped properties as horizontal levees that are maintained by nature and so are more cost effective than anything that we build. So as we go forward with our community and our lives, we must recognize that through our knowledge systems and great wealth of research discoveries in all disciplines, that it is us who are the game changers. We can make it or break it. 20 years ago, when Palm Coast City had just begun, we looked to the future with great expectation. In every course of life, not everything goes as planned. But we are capable of adjusting, of changing course a lot or ever so slightly to make it work. And usually that is when we are at our best. This is one of those times and if we get on board together, we can get it right and continue our paths forward with great expectation. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions? Any, anybody have any questions on the board here? Questions? Yeah, yeah, sure. The, uh, uh, you mentioned the construction of uh, roads and how it's undermined by uh, uh, floods, obviously. Um, have, you, have you guys looked into specific alternatives or, or, or things, or is this just to kind of get this discussion kicked off and on the radar? Well, what they, uh, what the references I talked about, uh, the rising water table, because as sea level is rising, it will have an inland effect, which means that uh, aquifers will most likely be full, and the water's got no 
place to go, so it's going to rise up. So many roadways, you know, there's a certain amount of uh, the, the system of, of laying down roads requires the base and built up quite a bit. That's something that uh, it, it just spoke of hardening in the sense of raising the base up higher to respond to this okay. in flood-prone areas. Yep, that's kind of what I was looking for. I have a question. Uh, <coughs> the fact that I that you said that we have 10 years to address this problem, if I understood your point of reference. I think 10 years is way too far out, considering what's going on now. Uh, I would also like to say that I think it's really important that all new construction and even there's retrofitting that can be done in the area of solar for high demand facilities. I would like to say that what my background is, is in solar. I did the feasibility studies for Southern California Edison's $500 million rooftop program, and I was also wrote the technical sections for their California Public Utility Commission application for the program. Uh, so I think one of the things that really should be incorporated is the high-demand facilities, like the uh, wastewater treatment facilities, this building, and other high-demand facilities really should have solar incorporated into them. It's not an easy thing to do because the city does not pay taxes that would then benefit it from having the 30% federal investment tax credit. But there are other methods and means out there to accomplish that. And I think it's really incumbent upon the city to start incorporating that into its its requirements. And I, have a, I have a question um, to everyone. I heard on the news this week that there's a $10 million um, upgrade to our sewage system in Palm Coast that's coming before the board this week or maybe next week. I'm not really sure. Does that incorporate any of the issues that you're talking about or is that something totally different? Yeah, what 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 the city's doing is, you know, we're regulated um, when it comes to wastewater by the Department of Environmental Protection. So, you know, what we're doing, not not so much as solar, but part of that plan in expanding our our plant. And you know, when we get a certain population, we have the DEP permits that require us to, you know, at this time when your population is this, you got to have a feasibility study. Then you have to have design, then you have to have construction, and then you have to construct. And what we have been doing for many, many years is not so much solar, but, you know, the Department of Environmental Protection and the St. John's River Water Management District, where we get our consumptive use permit from, we're actually um, have a pretty, uh, pretty aggressive program when it comes to reuse and saving the water resource. And we're probably, I'm, I'm probably bragging, but we're probably one of the best in the state where we started this program with reuse lines and instead of uh, taking that wastewater but blending it and making it into a certain quality where, you know, you have reuse for irrigation and really conserving a lot of water. So we are, uh, the city has definitely taken the role in partnership with, 
not only the Department of Environmental Protection, but the St. John's River Waters Management District to conserve as much water and nat natural resources as possible. Okay, I wasn't specifically yep. addressing solar, but I was just wondering. Yeah, absolutely. If it took, if it took climate change into account with this upgrade. Yeah, I mean, water resources is, is so key in, in uh, Palm Coast and also the state of Florida. And, and to save as much as that resource as possible is, is you know, vital. Ms. Lucas? Yes, I was wondering if you might expand a bit on the comments about re retrofitting and what uh, homeowners might be called on to do or what you can do uh, proactively. Well, that's the, uh, the green uh, city programs, I think. Uh, isn't that uh, Beth? Uh, yeah. For that? Um, yeah, retrofitting their homes with solar panels, um, kind of reducing the draw um, from, you know, the power um, companies. Um, uh, Denise, is there any Barrel's other? Barrel's part of that. I'm sorry? Rain barrel. Yes. Um, so we also, um, we actually um, have that information on our website, um, how residents can construct a rain barrel um, and have a connecting system to start to use that um, for their, you know, irrigation needs um, and yard needs. But Denise, speak further. Good evening, Denise Bevan, City Administration Coordinator. I want to speak to two programs that are in effect today. The first is through the City of Palm Coast, or Green Building Incentive Ordinance that took effect originally in 2009, where we do offer a reimbursement to single-family and commercial if they meet a green standard. The second program is called PACE, P-A-C-E, Property Assessed Clean Energy um, Program that's ran through the county, where solar um, actually is one of those eligible projects that you can get that financed and then actually pay that back through your property taxes. So those are two programs that individuals can take advantage of today as incentives. Denise, didn't we get, or um, I know I'm going back a little bit, but didn't we get certified for this building? We are. We're a Florida Green Building Coalition yeah. um, certified as a city. We're actually a gold level um, to a standard established by a nonprofit, and this is a LEED certified building um, by the um, U.S. Green Building Council. I have one other comment. I, you know, we were speaking of the, the water system and the water supply, and you know I, what I was reading about and with the water table rising. You know, when we, our uh, our water uh, delivery uh, lines and our sewage uh, disposal lines, they're in the ground, and when we have a flood or we have a hurricane come through, it's all filled up. But if there was a rising water table could these systems tolerate being underwater, in water, all the time? And that's what I, I was speaking of with thinking methods to, uh, about the water supply. And because uh, the water supply and the sewage systems, it's, you know, 30, 30 how many years old are some of the pipes? And they may... They are a little leaky in some areas. I don't know uh, what, what, what it would be, but to be sitting in water, say, all the time, that's something that I think would need to be looked at for our community. Because right now, you know, it's been dry, and there, there are no doubt 
dry, although the water table is, is, is high here anyway, because we're low. But if uh, we do get uh, some rising of the sea levels and higher tides, that type of thing, can the systems tolerate that? So that's one of the concerns that I had noted in here about the uh, water and sewage retrieval system. I see this involving not only um, the building codes changes, uh, wetland mitig mitigations that contractors are allowed to do, uh, the, the drainage research, um, uh, requirements for proper drainage in these new facilities or new housing developments that are coming around and also under utilities so I there's a lot involved here that we need to, we need to take action like to involve others to recognize the fact we need to do something. So um, I think you you presented a, a, a real good uh, case here that um, can go on. And I, I for one, as a public person, I I get the flooding when it rains, uh, but. What can we do? We got to wake up and it's going to take some stringent policy changes to really wake people up. So um, anyone else have anything that they would like? I just would yes, like sir. to know what kind of public education is ongoing the people who understand what, what the, um, that number one, that it's real, and number two, what their, what actions they can take proactively to address individual concerns, and then how they should participate in terms of supporting what the city is doing or trying to do. Okay. Okay, at this time, I will open it to anyone in the public that would like to speak on this, you're welcome to approach the podium. Um, give us your name and address, and um, you have three minutes upon which to speak. Good evening, my name is Edward Beyer. I'm also a member of the Beautification uh, Committee. Uh, we've worked many, many hours on this report. Of course, Jeffrey has the deep depth of of knowledge of all of that. And uh, so this report is very comprehensive. Now, most of us understand that there is a problem with uh, climate change. Most, most of this whole nation believes that. And you're right, now is the time that we really need to do something. You, I think maybe the word doesn't get out enough to the community as to the, the things they can uh, are available for, like solar uh, panels and things like that. Maybe that's one thing that we need to do is put more publicity out there by way of newspaper or whatever it is, telling everyone what's available to, uh, to do with that. Uh, 
another thing is, I think that uh, we have to keep in mind that we need to make the city an example, not just go along with what everybody else is doing, but go beyond that, go outside the box and go forward and make it an example that, uh, and we can really do that, and now's the time to do that, I think, because of such an influx of building going on, and that's a danger also that we need to watch very carefully with the wetlands and don't have these contractors going into those wetlands and building. So that's a very, very, another issue that I think we need to come together, the different committees come together and keep this issue forefront and keep working towards. I know we will in our committee, we will continue onward uh, uh, towards this goal. Thank you very much. Is there anyone else? Okay, so you know when approach, uh, close the uh, public part, bring it back to the board. We don't need to make any type of motions or nothing at this time, right? No, no, sir. I think this was just a presentation, but I will say this, um, that the governor right now is also looking at uh, potential legislation. It's going through committee right now, Denise, of you want to speak on on that real briefly? Yes, I'm tracking it um, through the legislature that's going on right now. Uh, it did get introduced to the Senate on the 14th. Um, what's today? 13th. <laughs> 15th. Um, and it was previously called House Bill 1073, if I remember correctly, or 76. And just briefly, without going in depth, my understanding of the bill is to introduce a concept of forming a task force. And um, that would include the new resiliency officer uh, through the state and look at uh, what is happening for sea level rise specifically and do the research, go through the assessing of it specific to the state of Florida. And my understanding is uh, arrive at an opinion on uh, a justification for how much sea level rise we should expect, expect to a certain horizon standard. That's my understanding of the bill thus far as it's just been introduced. And then also, too, you know, Denise has been involved as far as a city with the Northeast Regional Planning Council on um, they were also looking at the issue, the resiliency, and Denise got a lot of good background, has been part of that. So, um, you know, my, you know, my my recommendation, I think, you know, we're not really providing one on our staff report, but, you know, um, when it comes to cl climate change, when it comes to uh, seawater rise, you know, how political that can get and, you know, take politics out of it and just think about, you know, who's causing it, it it's kind of irrelevant in my mind. But, um, you know, we do know that, you know, sea level has been rising. And I think from a perspective of what's good planning is uh, kind of the key. If you're doing good planning, you're kind of taking care of some of those issues when it comes to potential sea level rise. For example, um, you know, we have recently, uh, recently within the last, I think, two years, we modified our floodplain regulation, our floodplain ordinance that, you know, really looks at 
avoiding uh, floodplains within the city of Palm Coast. And we have one of the highest ISO standards in the state of Florida uh, for our floodplain program that gives um, uh, our, the pre premiums of our residents are greatly reduced on, on their flood insurance. And, you know, this was, you know, we keep improving that program. We have regulations currently in our land development code that if you have a critical facility, you know, a fire station, assistant living facility, we want to keep those folks and those type of facilities out of that. We have protections within our comprehensive plan of our, um, you know, our conservation areas that uh, encompass uh, a lot of our floodplains that are protected. So, um, and then our stormwater regulations, as you recall, um, within the last couple of years, we were required by um, the, uh, the Department of Environmental Protection the state to incorporate what they call an MS4 permit, which is a citywide stormwater program. So our stormwater division, as you know, was created about a year and a half ago because of our city council's priority uh, to look at stormwater, to look at flooding in our neighborhoods. And we have, uh, our city council has allocated a lot of money to go into doing um, uh, modeling and looking at our sections of Palm Coast and making those improvements. So we are absolutely focused on the stormwater aspect, the flooding aspects, and those type of things. You know, again, our utility department has made grave improvements on uh, some of the, you know, infrastructure work that they're doing. So what I would say would be, you know, Denise and I, Denise Bevan and I have been talking for the last, you know, uh, at the beginning of the year, at the end of the fiscal year, actually, of uh, reevaluating our conservation and coastal section. You know, as you know, we, we went with other sections of the code. We're, we got the sign code. It seems like it's going on forever that we are going to be bringing forward our architectural, and I think the, um, the environmental section and our comprehensive plan um, especially with our data and analysis within our comprehensive plan that we did in 2002 is probably, or 2004, it's probably, I mean, we made some tweaks and updated here and there, but it's probably something that we should reevaluate. It's already 2020 to look at our conservation areas on our map to make sure, you know, are these the appropriate areas uh, and updating some of the other data analysis and working with the uh, committee um, continue that and and then you know then looking at our comp plan and then maybe possibly looking at our land development code and working together as we go through that process later in the year and I'll be forthright and say it's not going to happen next month of us but I think you know what I heard what the great job that they did on the presentation I think I heard one of the board members ask about um, you know about do you have any specific details and maybe Maybe the maybe maybe your committee can start looking at uh, maybe some of the some of those details uh, of, of possibilities. Um, you know what I heard too is educational outreach. How 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 can we reach out to our citizens about the programs that Denise mentioned that probably a lot of people don't know we have. I mean we try to do our part and we try to do the best. We're not the best as a public entity of of, of reaching out. So maybe. Y'all can also come up with some ideas to help us facilitate those educational efforts as well. But that's the way I would go because we are looking at, I think we actually, you know, we haven't had a council directive to do so, but it's been since 2004. 
um, to go through and, and look at our data analysis or comp plan and then reevaluate that sections of the land development code because it's been so long. So, uh, <coughs> Mr. Tyner, <coughs> sorry, getting over the uh, Christmas fun here. Um, <coughs> do we have, uh, uh, I know on staff we have uh, Jose who deals with the CDBG grants and stuff like that. Um, do we have a specific uh, uh, group in either financial or in planning that is tasked with uh, aggressively pursuing and lining up uh, grant money like the hazard mitigation grant program? Unfortunately, you have to you have to have a, an emergency to take advantage of that, so you help prevent it the next emergency. But there's you know um, I, I don't know how we're set up to do that. It'd be, I think it'd be interesting to to I hope all of us to know where we're at with that and in tandem with coming up with new ideas that might you know impact the city financially that we have something going where we're uh, evaluating and uh, aggressively applying for any grants that can off offset that yeah absolutely that's a that's a great point and I will tell you you know currently the city we we have tried in the past of having a grant writer we are going to dedicate somebody as a grant writer, and this person is going to look on the web and going to do the grants and this. But the, the you know some some of the argument or some of the problems that that we had with that approach would be, you know, the grant writer really doesn't know anything about stormwater and sewer and the technical aspects of things. Um, so what we ended up doing, and it's been working very well, because um, you know, for example. You know, Jose Papa uh, is our TPO representative of getting those grant dollars and getting those state fund dollars as a rep. He's kind of the expert in long-range planning and transportation and works for a capital project on what those needs are and goes through there. You know, as far as environmental, there's those different aspects. Denise Bevan is probably, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that she was able to, you know, work with, uh, for example, find and getting those grant dollars. She's an expert in the environment. Uh, she, she's a biologist by trade, and you know she's been very successful as a key person of getting those specific grants. So, and you know within our stormwater division, we have folks there that look and update, <coughs> and those grants come to them. They're the experts. They write the grants out, and we've been very successful, like for our bridges and culvert pipes and some of our stormwater facilities acquiring those grants so yeah. uh, long answer was we ha we have many at but, the city I mean, yeah I think as a part of the communication part of the program yep. you know I I don't know that that's widely known in the community that that uh, um, you know that we do have people aggressively going after you know, DEP and DEM yep. DEO money yeah even you know with the housing program uh, you remember three four can't remember, but three or four years ago, where we had the program that we joint ventured with the county to upgrade uh, housing to to make them uh, more sturdy during hurricanes and windborne with windows and those type of things. So you know they pop up, and we continue to um, you know try to acquire as many grants as we can. I appreciate your presentation. I hope you'll come back to us with some um, good ideas on where we can start at. I know that this board is very interested uh, in it, and uh, 
thanks again. Um, we have nothing else on the agenda. No, sir. Okay. I would like to recognize our new board members uh, and alternates that have diligently volunteered to work with us and I hope that they get an education and really know what we're doing. And thank you so much for your time. With that, I entertain a motion to get the board adjourned. Motion to adjourn. Do I have second. a second? And I have a second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Aye.